So welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I am so happy to have my first guest here today, Yvonne Reese. Yvonne uh, is in Florida, which I am so jealous of, to be honest, because it's about 35 degrees here in Pennsylvania. Uh, she has access to the beach and the beautiful sun and the waves. Um, and I have met her recently through a program that we both participated in. And then she also was willing to help me with the Daughters Without Moms kind of focus group, things that I started in the very beginning with doing research and things. And she has a really, really um, interesting story. And so I'm just going to let Yvonne tell you about herself, tell you about her story, tell you about her um, journey of grief with the relationship with her mom. And I might ask a few questions along the way, but I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. Well, um, I have the story of my life is that um, as far as being a daughter without a mom is that I grew up for, and I already feel my voice starting to shake. So I'm so sorry about that. Um, I grew up thinking that my mom had abandoned me and that she didn't want me because my dad um, took me from her. And that's not the story he gave me. And I didn't know better until after she died. I'm 51. I was taken from her when I was five. I was in kindergarten. I was picked up from school by my dad and taken to Oklahoma from Ohio. And he told me that um, my mom left me. And he told me that she left me in a crib in my house when I was six months old. And that is um, the story that I always clung to. And it was very weird. Um, at some point I did get to have visitation with her and it was beautiful. Like I remember uh, the pink bedroom that she kept for me at her house. And, I, and she um, had another baby when I was about maybe three years old. And so I had a little brother and I would go over and spend like weekends um, for a couple of years. I mean, I have solid memories. I got hurt really badly. I fell off of a swing set and I, I cut my arm open um, very deeply. And I woke up in the hospital room and um, they were fighting over top of me, screaming at one another. And um, my visits were you know, cut kind of short because halfway through kindergarten, he, he left to go chase a woman that he had gotten pregnant um, to Oklahoma. So while we were on our way there, um, I asked questions and my dad was very sharp tongued and would say, you know, basically shut the hell up and she's not your mother anymore. And I don't want to talk about her anymore. She left you when you were a baby. And um, it was nice of me to let her talk to you, but she doesn't even deserve you. And so very difficult for a five-year-old to process. And then, um, so I grew up thinking that, you know, she left me and that, you know, it was just only that she wanted to see me when it was convenient. But um, Mother's Day was just the hardest day of the year growing up as a kid because everybody loved their mom and their moms would do things with them. And, and it wasn't a day that you could even play with them. And my dad did chase a woman to Oklahoma, but she was only 11 years older than me. She wasn't really a woman. She was kind of a teenager. 
And so she didn't know how to be a mom and she was pregnant and they were going to make this go of it. And they had four kids in five years and then she left. And so um, she had alcohol problems. And so life was really rough. I remember the last time my mom called me and she had found us somehow in Oklahoma and I answered the phone and she's like, is that you phoning? Is that you? And I said, mommy, you know, like I can just see myself. I know exactly what I was wearing standing in the hallway and my dad saying, who are you talking to? And I said, my mom called my mom calling. And he just angry flew off the handle and got so mad, took the phone from me. And, um, we had started going by different names too. It was kind of weird. Like my dad had sort of changed our last name or he won't admit to that, but we started getting mail with our last name change. The first initial of our last name was changed. And my social security number, even though I was born in Ohio, comes from Oklahoma. So it's kind of weird. Like there's different things that don't mm -hmm. add up. And to be honest, it's so hard to even think of, but the, going back to the Mother's Day story. So the, you know, Mother's Day was spent um, in two sad ways, actually. Um, friends that can't play. And then my dad's mother was dead. And so he would make this big deal and we'd go to church and, and then we would kneel down and pray. And um, when we moved back to Ohio, by the time I was 10, he would take us to her grave and make us, you know, he would, he would say, mom, if only you were here, you, these girls' lives would be so different. And, you know, oh my God, it was just heavy. miserable, heavy. Yeah. Mother's Day. So, you know, fast forward and um, five years, I'm 11 years old and my stepmother has left and addicted to drugs, like a lot of hard problems for her. I think, you know, having four children by the time she was like 21 years old, she just, I mean, she was just so lost. And we moved back to Ohio and I'm in the Kroger shopping center and um, somebody starts following me around and it's very scary like why is that girl watching me every every move it turns out it was my mother's sister and she recognized me and she had called my mother and I was actually we were living like seven or eight blocks apart wow. so she she tried to come and see me and there was more fighting you know and my dad's very domineering and I'm sure I've gotten some of those traits but um I can just remember everything was just so hateful. Like if the sun was in my eyes and I would say, oh, the sun's in my eyes, my dad would yell and scream at me. Like, you're just like your mother. You don't even like the sun. <laughs> it was, had nothing to do with liking the sun, but he just did, you know, he would just get so irritated with me. And I look a lot like both of them. And um, I found that out later on. But so she tried to come and see me. And I think that I had just been so brainwashed and not knowing her for those last five years were so rough. And so she called me and said she was coming over and that we were going to go roller skating. And um, she never showed up. And now, now that I know the things I'm going to tell you next, I don't know if that was her choice or not. Because what I found out, I was 27 years old and pregnant with twins when she died on Mother's Day. Oh, oh you're kidding. Uh -uh. 
And it's funny because they couldn't find me all this time, you know, nobody reached out to me. Um, I was in touch with her mom for, for quite a bit of bits and pieces of my life. I could refind my grandma. And, um, but when she died, I was literally having a conversation with somebody who asked me about my mom when I got the phone call. And I said, it's funny, I just don't really feel like I have a mom. I really never felt like I had a mom since I was very, very little. You know, it was just a part-time mom. And the phone rings and I'm at my office and my husband says, babe, um, what you doing after work? You coming straight home? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, um, I just thought, you know, I just want to make sure. And I said, something's up, what's up? And he said, I don't really know how to say this or how you're going to take it, but we had a phone call on the machine and um, your mom died. And I was like, what? And it was so weird because I was literally just having this conversation with somebody, this older woman who was asking me questions about my mom. Like, and I don't, I never talked about that. So it was just bizarre to me. And I said, I was really in shock. I was, I don't think I cried. I don't think I experienced anything but shock, but of course I was pregnant. And so, you know, there's, there's so much going on in my body with twins. So <laughs> of all things, right. Oh my gosh. So anyway, um, what my story is, is that I longed to be loved. I longed to have somebody who would protect me, who would tell me things were going to be all right. Because that's not the kind of thing I got from my dad. In fact, I was cooking for myself at four years old. And my stepmother's story is that one of the reasons that she agreed to marry my dad is because she did want to help me because I was four years old. And I, and my dad would brag and say, look at this, Yvonne, make yourself some macaroni and cheese. And I could go to the stove and push a chair over and make hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and oatmeal and toast because nobody else was going to feed me. Mm -hmm. So resourceful as I am, just she, you know, that was the uh, sweetness of her, but she couldn't overcome the things that she had to deal with her own demons. So um, I, don't, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, um, so, you know, I'm pregnant with twins. I have a two-year-old. I'm in such love with my own kids. And I think what happened to me was that I think that I pushed all of the hurt and all of the loneliness and all of the wondering down for so many years when I had my first daughter, I kept asking, like, I, I think there was this nagging voice in my head saying, why didn't she love me? Why wasn't I enough? Why didn't she fight for me? Why didn't she come? So I didn't even, like I said, I honestly didn't realize those voices were there until I had my own kids. And so I read one of your posts, Beth, and they said, you know, I have a mom-sized hole in my heart. I have one in my life. Mm -hmm. When I hear stories of other people who say, 
I had my, I missed my mom. She was my best friend. She was this, she was that. It stabs me still. It stabs me because I'm so, and I hate to admit it, but jealous that I never know, I never knew that love. I never knew it. Mm-hmm. I never had it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I overlove my kids. I'm like, they just want to push me away. Like, okay, mom, stop. You're smothering me. You're smothering me. And I feel like my kids don't even want kids. My son does, but my girls don't. And, and I feel like maybe I, you know, just overloved them. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they were just my life because I was just so in love. And I, and I remember the day that I just thought I decided with my husband that we would become parents. I never thought I wanted kids because from the time I was 11 until I was 18, I raised those four babies that, um, uh, my stepmother left behind. And so from 11 to 18, my whole life was consumed with taking care of, uh, my sisters and my brother. And they were, um, when she left, I believe my brother was six months and then my little sister would have been one and a half and then my other sister would have been two and a half and my other sister would have been four. So I was 11 years old and I was trying to figure out how to raise these babies. And I had had so much to do with taking care of them anyway because she had, the stepmom had left in between several times. Um, between the kids like she would just leave and go to see her mom or come back and then she'd be pregnant again and then she'd stick around for a little bit then she'd get you know it was just this mm. terrible cycle but um I think with my kids I was just oh my gosh I couldn't believe the capacity my heart had to love them I couldn't believe the capacity that I had but the day that I decided like with my husband we were on a an anniversary trip and the doctor had just told me that I had the endometriosis and that it's a pretty bad case and that if I didn't decide to have kids young that I might not be able to make that decision for myself and I was like well that's okay I never really wanted kids anyway because you know I felt like I'd already raised those other kids and and I literally had told myself oh I don't want kids and my husband always said I would love to have a you know, two kids, a boy and a girl. And I'd love it. You know, he used to say, I love the girl to be just look just like you, but I don't want her to think her chick stinks or something. I don't know. I'm sorry if that's inappropriate. <laughs> it's not. But it's not. I'm, I'm so humble and stuff. So I think he was just like, you know, maybe insecure is more the word. So <laughs> I just want her to be so confident, so strong, which most people think I am, but there are those areas that I'm weak in. But Anywho, he, he did get one that looks just like me. Uh, people mm-hmm. recognize us all the time for being each other's <laughs> mother or daughter. Um, but we were on this vacation. And so he had said, well, either way, I, you know, I love you. I want to be with you. You're my life and all of this. But then we met this couple. And, you know, it's so divine because God brought these people into our life. We ended up sharing a table with them at a um, Sandals resort in uh, Jamaica. And they said, um, she, she got her period and she was crying. And I was like, what's the problem? And she just started going on about my mom and I, and, not, and, and we've been trying to get pregnant for five years and my mom and I have this relationship and I want to pass that down. And I was probably almost callous because I was like, what's the big deal, you know? And then that night I remember dreaming about it. Like 
why was she so passionate about having kids? Like life is so fun without kids, you know? Like I was like, <laughs> we were having fun. So that weighed on me and weighed on me and weighed on me for about, I think about nine months. And we were on another vacation. And it was just Tim and I, and all these words are floating around in my head. The doctor saying you have endometriosis, it's pretty severe. Um, the uh, couple that we met and all of her passion for wanting to be able to be that mom, all of those things are going through my head. And of course, I love my sisters and my brother. They, they kept me so safe, like taking care of them saved me. It was really, I mean, I remember my uncle once said that they thought that I would be 14 and pregnant and on welfare because what else would I have, you know, like I hadn't been shown a better life by my dad. And um, yet I had so much light and so much drive inside of me and I wanted to be uh, so many things, you know, um, I had all those little girl dreams mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that it was the biggest one was just to be loved. And God really did send me a good man because he has put up with me, <laughs> loved me through it all. But um, it made me so thankful. But what happens next is I decided we were on that vacation nine months later after meeting those people. And I just said, you know, babe, I think I missed out on having a ball. I think I don't want to miss out on being close. Hmm. And so that's kind of where we, we ended up with having kids and then my heart bursting open with the capacity to love them and then getting pregnant with twins the second time thinking, how did that happen? I mean, we didn't take fertility or anything. It was really so weird because uh, we, we thought, well, we'll just see how it goes in two pregnancies and three kids wow. <laughs> in two years. So, wow. So we had the kids and, you know, my, the twins come are born like three months after my mom had died. I couldn't figure out why I was so sad. I'm just so sad. It wasn't postpartum because there were, there were different things happening. And it was, it was just really that mom sized hole in my heart, you know? And um, I went to see a psychic, which was really weird because that's so not my thing. I'm more of a praying person and um, not, more of that uh that type of spiritual thing but my girlfriend was like you just need to do this you just need to do this and I said okay I'm gonna do it but I parked my car around the block and I wore nothing that they could recognize my clothes from um I didn't want them to have any idea who I was or be able to look up my license plate number on my car and be able to you know like who yeah. knows I, 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 I guess I have all some, the tools out yeah, the way. yeah I think <laughs> I have some trust issues Beth but <laughs> like I am definitely definitely not giving them anything they're not going to get it from me and I walked into this uh, spiritual healer's office and she was saying goodbye to another person and she started I'm just sitting in a chair and she says um, hold on a minute uh good lord I don't even have a pen in my hand and I'm like who is she talking to right this is weird and she was talking to whatever spirit was there. And I'm like, oh my God, I mean to tell you, I'm thinking I really got suckered here. But I didn't get suckered. Um, she just sat there quietly, never asked me a single question. She wrote four notebook pages of notes. 
And the things that she told me were like, well, the first thing she said is the first thing she said over and over again, like a hundred times I'm writing it and she's showing me the paper. She's like, it was never your fault. Mm. I always loved you. Wow. And then she said, she's been trying to come to you through the, the color blue. Well, blue was my favorite color when I was little. And, it, and then when I was taken to Oklahoma, um, red became my favorite color. And everything that had anything to do with my life before, before she was taken or I was taken, uh, changed. And, you know, red is angry and fire and, you know, all of those emotions that go with that. And blue is peace and calm and all of those emotions. And so um, I was like, oh, well, that, see, right here, right now, that's a lie because I don't even like the color blue. I don't even have blue. I don't have, I don't know what she's talking about, blue. And I went home and I was putting my coat away. My coat was blue. Like, how I couldn't see my own coat was blue. <laughs> everything I had bought in the last six months before that meeting with that person, everything was blue. Everything. And I'd had a, lots of other things about it. But anyway, so there was came some healing with that because I thought that was just so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. There was a lot of healing. But I was still carrying around, now I'm carrying around all this anger towards my dad. I'm starting to put some of these pieces together. Like, like he took me to Oklahoma. He, um, I still don't know the whole story, but I'm, he was mean to me. He was abusive to me. Um, whatever problems he had, he had to, I know it's, you know, as I, as I age, I see that sometimes these are the best decisions that we can make. You know, he was a person too and all of that. But uh, an Easter Sunday in 1999, we went to church. Um, it wasn't our church. We were visiting my husband's family and his sister said, I am just in love with this church. Will you come with me to this one instead? And I said, sure, we'll go wherever you want. And so we went to this church and it was so different. I grew up in the Catholic church. And so this is so different when you go from very regimented, spiritual, you know, stand up, sit down, kneel, you know, the prayers that you're going to say. And then you go to this preacher standing up there and he's, you know what Easter is? Easter is forgiveness. And if you think that you're holding on to hate in your heart for somebody um, because they did you wrong and you're still going to get to heaven. You're wrong too. I was like, well, what is happening? I was, I had a baby on this one, a baby on this one, my little one next to me, my husband there, my sister-in-law there. And he said, so if you've got some forgiveness to give, you better get up here and get on your knees and get down at this altar and let me pray that right out of you. And I had an out-of-body experience. This little Catholic girl said, didn't even know who she was, gives the baby to the sister-in-law, gives the other baby to the husband. And my body's floating down the aisle to the altar and I'm down on my knees. And I had the most amazing salvation granted to me in that moment because I didn't want to hate anymore. I didn't want to carry around all that hurt. And they prayed over me and I would never have been the kind of person to believe this kind of healing. I just want you to know that when I say this, I'm not trying to convert people or any of these things, but I had a moment where I need, and my heart was so heavy with anger and hurt 
and I dropped to my knees and they prayed and prayed over us. And it just, it literally just lifted right out of my body. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing is that was just opening the one can and getting the one can empty. Mm-hmm. And then you realize there are so many more cans that need to be dumped <laughs> out as we go. <laughs> but the, um, the healing started there and the belief in that miracle of healing and that gratitude prayer and that, um, and I, I had cut my dad out of my life for a couple of years and I let him back in and I, I really have done my very best to forgive him for all the things. More things come up though. <sighs> mm. I mean, that's the thing. The more mm. things come up, but, and everything I tried to remember gratitude first, being happy for what we have. It's a decision. And um, I do thank my dad for the things that he did give me. He gave me a love of travel. He gave me a love of reading. Um, In a very, very backhanded way, he gave me a love of education. He used to tell me it was a good thing that I'm smart because I didn't get the looks in the family. (laughs) But I sure value being smart, okay? <laughs> so there's that. So in, in in spite of all the crazy things that my dad did, and there are so many crazy things, he did not. He didn't. I wasn't allowed to miss church for anything. I mean, my butt was at CCD classes because we didn't go to uh, Catholic school, and um, all the way through senior high, like that's wow. kind of nuts. I skipped one day just to show him that turn found me out because my sisters were at the house across the street from where I went to go instead of church, instead of CCD. So he comes knocking at the door and finds me or I lost my stereo for that. And then he drove me every week. So like, I definitely thank him for my, <laughs> my spiritual side. And, and it's funny because that's what brought me back to him and to be able to forgive him. And a lot of people say, I can't believe it. But what happened to open up my wounds and why they still feel a little raw is that um, two years ago on vacation, my dad's friend of 50 years came to go out to dinner with us while we were on vacation. And he told me that all these years that I thought my mom didn't love me and all these years I thought she abandoned me and that I wasn't worthy and I didn't have her love. And even though I'd gone to that spiritual advisor and I'd heard these things, but she knew she was the grown up. She should have fought for me in my heart and my soul. That's what I thought my whole life is. She should have fought for me. She should have come for me. And I'm a fierce woman when somebody, you know, like mom, this is one mama bear you don't want to get in the way of because, you know, what I've been through, no, nobody. I mean, it's hard for me. My daughter is a little TikTok famous thing right now. People attack her on the comments and I, I just want to go at them, you know, like that's just the fierceness in me. And so I can't understand why she didn't fight for me. And I found out because they, everybody thought it's just water under the bridge and, and and my, my dad's friend said, well, it was a really hard thing to do holding your mom down so she couldn't come to for, uh, court to fight for you. 
I got to tell you, Beth, there was a moment I wanted to grab the nearest baseball bat and go smack my dad a couple times. Like, what the hell kind of lies did you feed me my whole life? Mm -hmm. And so for me, and wrapping it all up, I guess, is that my hole has changed. It was a mom-sized hole, and it's still a mom-sized hole. But I... I thought I was abandoned. I thought I wasn't wanted. And then I became like, no, it was that you were taken and that your dad made some choices to keep that his, you know, his way. And so it's just this like, I'm sorry if this whole interview has bounced around, but our whole story is about being a motherless daughter Mm -hmm. or a motherless mother. And I've just never met anybody that can connect to my story. So I don't tell it often because it's, it's horrific, honestly. If some little girl came over and said any of these things to me, I would just, I would just die. And I've had so many lovely friends, moms, who took on interest in me and, mm-hmm. and loved me a little bit, you know. To, it, it was beautiful, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I just have the sinking feeling that I don't belong. I don't belong anywhere. In mm-hmm. your group, when we talked, I thought, I don't belong. Because if I belonged, I would know what it feels like to have had that love. I would have known how great it was. But then there's, other, there's seems like there's like two groups of uh, daughters without moms. It's the ones who had these moms and they loved them so, da- uh, so treasured and were loved back and felt that love. And so they miss it so much when it's gone or there's the ones that the moms died. But there wasn't anything where the mom was taken or the, so I, I feel sometimes my story is, it doesn't resonate with anybody. I still tamp it down a lot. Mm-hmm. I knew this would bring out the tears today though. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I prepared myself. <laughs> But in everything, I think it's the only way through it is through it. So you keep going, you pick yourself up. You don't have time for this most days. You just don't have time for this. So you just keep going. And most days you're fine. And then sometimes you just get slapped with, you know, yeah. And so Mm -hmm. it's funny, I I built a career in, um, sales and uh, it took me so far and I think the empathy that I have for others the affinity I have towards senior citizens especially because of um, I love their stories and they were always those older women figures just you know if I was interested in them they were just so loving to me and I and I really thrived from that you know but I think I have got some work to do still I think there's definitely some therapy and some uh, reprogramming for uh, the conversations I have with myself about that. Mm-hmm. But I'm working on it. I'm getting there. And I just live in gratitude of what I did, what I do have now. And just... I don't know. I think that's just my, my only solution is to live in gratitude for what I do have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I am not going to like the way this sounds coming back at me because my I'm crying so badly. It's so not bad. bad at all. It's not bad at all. <sighs> it's real and honest, <laughs> and it's your it's your story. You know, yeah. one, one of them. It's not my right. Own. It's the one one can the one can we unpack today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I awesome. would. Have, agree with you about the gratitude. Like, I think that that's something like, you know, when people say, oh, every cloud has a silver lining. This, this is one thing that, you know, I think people say a lot of things. Like, when your heart deep in the grief and the pit of grief, those words, you just cannot receive them as how they're intended. Um, but it, one of the silver linings of losing my mom at 13, I think is that I am very grateful. And I tell people that I'm grateful. Like yeah. you're talking about those women in your yeah. life. Yeah, that's what I do on Mother's Day. Yeah, and them cards and say, especially once you become a mom, I say, "Wow, those women really just took me in and cared yeah. for me and loved me." And yeah. hallelujah, I'm so yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. Um. So I think that I'm I can relate to that with you that I've done yeah. the thing. I've taken gratitude as something to be able to, you know, lift my heart too in those. Yeah. Times you need it yeah and I look at my kids and I just I just can't help but just you know fill with love and just be so proud and um, I'm proud of the job that I've done with them and it's definitely far from perfect but definitely um, it has uh, it gave my whole life just a new purpose my capacity for love grew so much and so yeah I I just choose to live in that most days Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody comes along and reminds you that there's this whole thing and you go ahead and say okay I'll do a podcast <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that but no. so my one thing is though is that Brene Brown talks a lot about shame and she talks about how and I and I I hear in your story that you're reluctant because I feel like you feel ashamed but you really had nothing to do with it like she talks about how shame is an external feeling it's something yeah. put on you I'm yeah. It sounds like a lot of it was from things that your dad told you at a very young age that, and yeah, of course, any five-year-old is, is told your mom doesn't want you, that's going to turn into a feeling of shame as you carry it along in your life. But she talks about how secrecy helps shame to stay, you know, oh, yeah. in its place. But when we share that it can start to break up the shame and allow it to, you know, so that that is one, my one hope for you with this is that if you are, you know, feeling ready to share your story and things that it will help release you from what that has put on your life. I didn't do anything to deserve that. You know, you didn't have any part of that as a five-year-old child. Well, as a six, but she, I mean, they, they divorced when I was six months old. And so it actually went even deeper than that. And he got custody of me. And that's what I was finding out at the very end of the story is that the way that he got custody of me is that his friend detained my mom. So she couldn't show up to court. To fight for me. That makes so, sense. It was five yeah. when you moved. You were five, five when you moved. Took me, picked me up from school and yeah, moved me. So, right, right. But yeah, um, yeah, and I do believe that. I think I did live with a lot of shame for years. I, I don't, I don't think that it comes out in shame anymore. It comes out in worthiness. And the more that I've learned about um, the circumstances, the less I have to deal with that. And so I would never. If I weren't talking about it, I wouldn't have the opportunity to move past it. So I am okay with sharing the story because um, I'm sure my dad is not going to like it. He's going to, you know, give a big to do about it. But 
uh, it's my story. It's mine to tell. And, you know, um, the biggest problem with him was that he wanted to control everything. And by wanting to control everything, my thoughts, my feelings, um, just everything, how I would behave. Um, so that's what he would use, you know. And I see it now. I definitely do. I did have one question. So your dad's friend who chose, chose to tell you this two years ago, why did he wait so long? Did you ask, ask him that? No, they were reminiscing. Him and my dad were like, you know. Uh, so your dad was there. My dad was in court for me, but my dad was at this family vacation. And yeah. his friend came and he thought, he thought everybody knew. Like he, he didn't know. The thing is, when you when you were raised by a pathological liar, my father, you nobody knows what what's safe to say. I mean, I think that my I think that his friend just thought it was like probably everybody knew that by now, you know. Yeah. Uh -huh. But but my dad's the type of guy who once he's told a story enough times, he believes it. And uh, yeah, no, 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 that's not the way it happened at all. Bob was like, yeah, I remember you and had me and so and so take her and just keep her there so she couldn't come to court and it's like oh my god <laughs> wow wow so did you ask him about that at all or is it that like you said he's believed it long enough that he doesn't even really you know that's uh, what he believes is true anyways yeah um i probably have i i i had gotten to the point where i set really good boundaries with him and he's not allowed to talk to me about other people and he's not allowed to say things like he it just weird stuff but yeah I you don't know no. and he said you don't understand she wasn't a good person anybody will tell you let me give you some names and okay okay you know it's mm -hmm. it's just what he is and um you know it's funny to me because just to give you some insight into the way that he thinks is you know he's been um on medicine his whole like I can't remember a time he wasn't taking like Valium for this or something else for that and and like to get me to behave or if I ever asked questions he didn't he didn't want to answer he would fake a heart attack or say oh my god you're killing me I need my medicine and so he, it's in the car you better go get it and um like like this kind of like control and so, but he's like, I never took drugs, you know, illegal ones, but he's, <laughs> he, he, he's very proud of the fact that he, you know, <laughs> that it was only prescribed by doctors that, you know, kept him, you know, medicated, but whatever. So yeah, it's just, it's such a weird thing, but, but I tolerate our relationship. I do my best to check in on him. I'm financially helping with his support and um, which is a point of contention for my, my husband, of course, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. But there is a weird obligation that you just can't let go of. Mm -hmm. yep. But if I feel like if I withhold any help of support that, um, that it's also like holding on to the hate and I don't want to do it. Good for you. Yeah, I don't want to hold on to the hate. It's just not my choice. I just, I don't let him get away with much. And he calls me, he, he calls me the warden. The warden. <laughs> That's what he tells everybody behind my back. Oh, the warden's coming. And, and it is kind of a funny sense of humor, but, um, but 
because um, I set those boundaries. And when I set them, I very firmly had to um, continue to remind him of those boundaries over and over again. And he didn't get it and he didn't want to get it. And he wanted to have control and he wanted to push my buttons and, and uh, you know, and I mean, he was a guy at that time. And, you know, they, they believed that, you know, uh, women are to make the meals and clean the house and do the things that, you know, he thought that I should do. And, but at the same time, he recognized that there was a going to be an opening. And so he, he would promote me to say, you could be a, you could be a doctor, you could be anything, you know, like, so there was some good mm-hmm. in there. It's just mm-hmm. weird. But at the same time, you know, I have said this to so many people, but do you remember the commercial? I can bring on the bacon. Na, 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 na. Fry it up in a pan. Yeah. Na, 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 na. <laughs> but never, ever let me forget you're my man. Yeah. So um, that's that kind of BS we were fed as, you know, when we for were For sure. Young. On and, TV. Yeah. And, for, and that's just a commercial. But I think about it and it's like, I think that that's the way they tried to make sure that the men would be okay with women going to work is that they're still going to take care of you, baby. And, you know, we're 30 years later and people are still, women are still the ones thinking, not in my house. My, my husband is a full partner. I mean, we, we share everything. In fact, he might do more than me but uh, around the house, but, um, you know, the struggle of the, um, you know, taking care of the kids and being able to fulfill our job wishes and, oh, who's going to go to the grocery store and what should I get? And you might as well just keep doing it. You know, that was my dad. Like, you know, no, 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 you're the woman. The woman's needs to do all of that, but you can also be a doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was, it was a, it was a mixed bag for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean it, it seems like through all of it, you definitely have gained a very healthy sense of independence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is something that I value too for my dad. Like my dad wasn't involved in my life a lot. Um, but on the other hand, I look at it that he didn't hurt me either. Like he didn't, you know, um, do a lot of baggage that I have to undo. But <laughs> thank goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> allowed me to do my thing, which made me very independent. Yeah. Which yeah. Is a strength and a curse. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Because yeah. you know, all of us in human nature need to feel needed and acceptance of other people's help is a thing that I struggle with to this day. Because I'm a four-year-old who could cook hot dogs and toast and oatmeal. I mean, you got to know that I knew how to do it all. Mm-hmm. on a gas stove, which is just scary as hell for me to think about. <laughs> sure is. But, it sure is. But, but um, like, for instance, I recently burned myself pretty severely and um, somebody mailed me cream. And my first thought was, oh my God, isn't that so nice? But I need to pay them for it because I'm, you know, I, accepting of that is really hard when you're independent. So mm-hmm. not to yep. get off track though. Nope. I think that um, overall, I think that you asked me, how did I grieve and how I grieved? It just, I mean, it just spilled over into so many different areas of my life. And even still, I feel that whole, like talking about it is still really hard. I would like to get to a place someday where I can, it's, I can tell the story and it's like a book I read, but it didn't happen to me. I would love to feel that way sometime. 
Um, and sometimes I can, but other times I, I'm too emotional. And I think some of my uh, anticipation of this probably was building up to talk mm -hmm. about it because most of the time I tamp it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the living in gratitude, being very present and in the things that I can control and the happy things that I have in my life, those are the things. Like, I'm just, I don't know anybody who's as happy as I am to just walk the dog sometimes. I'm just so, um, I should have been an actress. I probably would have been so good at that. Like, I have all the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> to the extremes because um uh I do have deep sadness but I have extreme joy because I know the difference mm -hmm. and you allow yourself to experience them both like that's um I was talking the other day about you can't numb one and not expect to numb the other you know what I mean oh, you, that's can't, you can't numb your pain and not expect that you're going to numb your joy yeah so allowing yourself to feel the pain then, you know, allows yourself to feel the joy too, which you think you do, you yeah. know? So, yeah. Yeah. And when you were talking in the beginning about your kids and about um, just that pouring of love that you felt once they were born, another one of my favorite quotes is from Susan David. And she says, grief is love looking for a home. I love that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So I bet when yes. your kids were born, you were like, oh, oh. I'm home. I'm home with them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had them kind of young. I was 20, 26 and 28, I guess, when I had them. So um, they, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, the, I didn't really know I was in grief at that moment, mm -hmm. but boy, the capacity that I felt. And, and I, I remember being worried and I don't know if this is every mom, but I remember being worried that I loved that firstborn so much that how would I have enough love for all? And how was it going to be? And then you hold these, and then I got two at once. So I'm really <laughs> worried. <laughs> Holy smokes. It's like the Grinch, right? Where his heart just, <laughs> it just grows. It just manages to find a way. And I think every day I make a choice that that's what I want to walk in. And I don't win every day, but that's the choice that I try to make every day. Mm -hmm. Well, good for you. Good for you. Um, so, I mean, I think you kind of said, I, I did want to wrap up with sharing one thing that your journey has taught you. Um, and you mentioned gratitude. Like, is that what, like, if you would want to share something with somebody else, what is one thing you're grief journey has taught you? Oh, um, this is so easy because it's the most annoying thing about me to um, my family. It's not the gratitude. It's that I never see one side of anything. I always see another side. I always see another perspective. And um, I just never assume that somebody who's smiley or somebody who's sad, there's something... I always think about, you know, what brought them to that and my, my capacity for empathy and for understanding is, it's so much bigger than me. Wow. What a story, right? I'm so thankful for Yvonne's honesty and vulnerability in sharing her story. Not only is her story one of her grief journey, but it certainly is also one of hope and resiliency.
If you've connected with Yvonne's story, please leave a message where you are seeing this episode or a comment on social media. I'd love for her to feel the love from the community around her. If you're looking for more information on your grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. My program, Permission, will be launching on January 18th, and I'd love to have you join us. Stay well, friends.